Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Welcome back to the State of Developer Education. I'm really excited to be here for this episode with Brandon Kessler, the CEO and founder of DevPost. How's it going? Hey there, super happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Doing well. I'm really excited too. So for all of my guests, I like to start with origin stories. I love hearing how people got started, how they ended up where they were. And I know that you've had kind of like a weird zigzaggy path to uh, DevPost. So let's start there. Where did you come from and how did you end up here? I grew up in San Diego, came to college here in New York. Where main story is that I really admire people that can do 50 different things and be happy at every one of them, but I am not that person at all. Like I need to be doing one thing. Otherwise I'm sort of a miserable wreck and probably don't want to, you know, be around me in those scenarios. So for me, it's about building stuff and I've always wanted to create. So I think about it as if there were this pie chart, all the things that you could potentially do right now that would be successful for everyone that have impact, that make people happy, that would succeed financially. Like the amount of that pie that's actually being done right now is so small that it's like infinitesimally small. You couldn't even see it on the chart. In other words, all these other things could be done now that would be successful and make things better. So, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to work on those things to be able to start my own, you know, company. So I always really like working with people that are making things. So um, when I was about 13, I read about this guy, David Geffen, who uh, had a record label and he combined business and music. And I couldn't believe you could do that one thing. It's called this record label. And so at 13, I was like, I think I want to have a record label. And the more I, you know, learned about it, the more I read about it, the more I thought, wow, this is legit. And when I came to New York for school, I started working and all four years was working in the music industry. And I was like, this is really what I want to do. I love business. I love music. So I started a record label in my dorm room here at school in Columbia and ran that for 12 years. So signing bands, getting them in the studio, overseeing the making of their albums, promoting, marketing, distributing, getting them, you know, help basically babysitting and getting them out of jail for cocaine possession. All of those things are true. And so I loved it and we did well. I'm really proud of what we put out there. We made money by leveraging the internet. But after 12 years, I was, you know, I was ready to own the product to build something from scratch as opposed to be a conduit to somebody else's products each time. And so the ties to hackathons and dev posts is that I like supporting creative people. I decided to go to business school on nights and weekends here while I was incubating this new idea. And that's where I got inspired by these grassroots competitions that were sprouting up on the internet. Some of them were software competitions. The one that inspired me, the ones that did were technical competitions. And I called these people up and said, how are you managing these incredible prizes and challenges that were solving real problems? And there wasn't a platform and there wasn't community. So that's why I created the company was to be a platform and community for these competitions. Those then more to be just developer competitions. That's the origin story. And uh, fortunately, you know, have in New York, uh, we're still a small company. We have 27 employees and we power a lot of hackathons and support a lot of developers. And work with yeah. great partners like you. Oh. Yeah, you support a lot of MLH hackathons. The time you started DevPost, right, which I saw is like somewhere around 2009, 
I think was also when I went to my first hackathon. And there was this like really magical thing going on in New York tech at the time of people self-organizing and building these communities and just like doing all this weird, scrappy, creative stuff, right? I'm curious, like, you know, when you started DevPost, I know it used to have a different name. You know, what did that community feel like? And how has that evolved to the massive global movement that you have today? Yeah, well, so that was actually one of the bigger mistakes that we made. I mean, there was good reasoning behind it. But I mean, I could keep you here all day with people ask me, what are your biggest mistakes? You know what it's like. Do you want me to filter by the day, week, month, year, or all time? Like, what are we talking about here? But at the time, we needed, you know, competitions, problem solving through competitions was going to be a big thing. But there was a lot of different kinds of competitions. So to start out, there was like too broad of a community. We were powering apps competitions for Michelle Obama as business plan competitions and other kinds of competitions, including software. That was about 60% of what we did. But what we learned is if you're all things to all people, you're nothing and you must focus. And I guess the sun just came through. So now I'm went to a bright, shiny light. That's okay. So anyway, the big mistake is, you know, you do is trying to be all things to all people. So to your question about the community, why is it wrong to power software competitions with photo competitions, with recipe competitions, with business plan competition? Well, your product cannot focus enough to delight any one user like software developers. Because if you want to ask a question to them, you've got to change up all your questions for everybody. And that just doubles, triples, quadruples all of your daily work. And then the second thing to your point is the community. You know, photographers don't want to hear about software app competitions. So we decided to change our name to DevPost to just focus on developers. We were called Challenge Post. And to just focus on inspiring developers to build. So we changed our mission. We said no to all of these other non-software competitions, gave back the software to our partners, et cetera, and went all in. That's when we were truly able to grow. When was that? I think that was 2017. So you were in business for quite a while before getting to that point. Yeah, it was like maybe five or six years in. And so we had all kinds of competitions we were powering and we just kept narrowing and eventually just focused on software. I think it was like 2016, 2017. So the community, to answer your question, we were, you know, not only was that a learning on our part, but yeah, we were also heavily involved. We were also a tech company ourselves and super exciting time and, you know, so many cool products built during that time. Did you see similar movements popping up in the other communities you were involved with? Like, were there meetups for photographers working on these competitions? Like, was there a parallel sort of like in-person component to all of this? So, well, meetup, I think, started out, I think our first group was like dog lovers of Paris. So the meetup was actually really instrumental from a community's perspective back then. It was where most communities thrive. The number two at Meetup is on our board right now. I've learned a lot and heard a lot of stories from him right now. A really great guy. So yes, there were communities for developers. There were communities for photographers. There were communities for startups doing business plans, communities for cooks and chefs and recipes, et cetera. But I guess the, the lesson for us was, you know, you got to focus on one and deliver them great value. Right. Like even though there's similarities, product focus is important. So I want to talk about like the competition and challenge model a little bit more. I've heard many different, you know, strong opinions one way or another on that model of building community, right? Like some people think competition is great for community. Some people think it's terrible. You know, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, having seen many, many, many hundreds of competitions at this point, like what actually makes it a positive, engaging environment for the people who are part of it? 
Right. One of the things actually going back to the start is that when I started looking at these cool competitions that it's brought it up, like Netflix did a competition for to improve their movie recommendation algorithms. Uh, XPRIZE was doing competitions, their first one, sort of build something that could get into orbit. And then, you know, there was a Windows on Mac competition that inspired me. It was a, hey, create a software program that allows Windows to run on the Mac before Apple let you do that. Was the amount of collaboration happening from the beginning? People are sharing ideas. People are contributing money to the prizes and that sort of thing. So is it cutthroat for some people? And are they, you know, interested in not trying? Yeah, that's fine. And I, we found that different people have sort of a different menu item of what they care about. Some people are just want to win. That's it. And other people want to learn, want to improve their craft, want to connect with others and have communities. So you absolutely want to have, you know, all of them to be there. But I think what makes it fun is ability for people to connect with each other. And I think the learning through building is one of the most important aspects, if not the most important. You know, you don't look at the few percent who win. You look at all the participants and what they get out of it. Yeah, it's kind of like a marathon, right? Like most people aren't running to win. They're running to finish. Exactly. It's 100%. Hence the term. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it came first, but yeah. Exactly. No, but it's absolutely, it's, you're not going to try to win the New York City Marathon. You just it's like set a goal, set yourself a challenge and accomplish it. So there is all of that. It's the deadlines that create urgency. It's the competitive spirit that makes you challenge yourself and win in your own way, whatever that is. It's the fun and collaboration, and it's the learning through building. Those are the things that I think make them successful. And then communities sort of build around that. I don't know that it's it's not primarily about, it's not community first. Actually, I'm curious what you think about this, but when I study communities, the best communities are around something else that provides you value, right? So you're reading an article, Hackathon or Reddit or whatever, and then there's the community around that. The hackathon itself must be valuable, and then the community is a key part of that. What do you think about that, actually? I think that communities are about repeat interactions and building familiarity and like comfort with a bunch of people. And hackathons can help kick that off. You know, it might be taking place for a month. It might be taking place for a weekend. It can't be the only component of building communities. And so like, even on campus, like when we see people, you know, who are very strongly tied to their hacker community or hackathon, it's not because they went to one event, right? It's because they go every weekend, or they go to an event with their club that they see every week on campus. You know, there's these repeat impressions that form those stronger bonds. I think the hackathon itself is just one part of it. Awesome. So I know you have a million stories from over the years at DevPost. And I'd be curious to hear some of them. Like, is there anything that comes to mind that was just like a blow you out of the water, like positive, unexpected story of putting on a competition and something just crazy happening? Oh, big expectations there. Trying to think about that. I don't know if it take, checks all those boxes, but when I think of the highlights, I mean, certainly launching a product and seeing it used, particularly for the first time, is incredible, right? And so... The hackathon that comes to mind is one of the first ones we powered, which was right when we launched, I think, in our first year, which was called NYC Big Apps, New York City Big Apps. And it was an open data competition. You could build anything using New York City data. And it was just amazing. There were local people improving their city. The government agencies all got involved providing data. There was a lot of community. There were a lot of community events in person 
and online projects were created that you know went on to like still exist today and leave their space and then just all this learning from that and you know it's cool when the mayor's announcing it and you're on stage with them as they're announcing prizes and that kind of thing so i don't know if that's like a huge surprise but it was definitely one that was memorable for us other favorite moments are we do a lot of social good competitions dev post powers a lot of virtual competitions and a lot of those are social good so it's really cool to be working with great partners and to have you know good results come out of it that actually help people there are fun projects that come to mind too like you know that just people use and, and love that are highlights for me personally alexa competitions this project called kids court where if you're you know kids are fighting like they can go to court online and they state their case and there's like a judge and they have to provide evidence and it chooses a winner it's just fun cool stuff but i would say most surprising stuff is in the competitions with the projects themselves, I think there was one that we powered that you was an MLH competition. I think it was Pen Apps, the one about homework machine, right? Where it's just does your math homework for you, reads your handwriting, then you feed it the problem and it does it for you. And writing, it's incredible. What about you? I mean, that's definitely a favorite of mine. I remember we uh, got a video of those guys demoing their project and it was like all duct taped together and like wild looking. I don't know. Like, I think. There have been a lot of weird projects over the years. Some of them have been commercially successful and some of them are just interesting avant-garde creations. Like I was at a hackathon once up at RIT and someone built a homemade self-driving car and he literally like had this beat up old Honda Civic. He had duct taped a webcam to the roof. He had all these like 3D printed gears strapped to the steering wheel and like it was a death trap, but it was a really cool project, you know? A lot of the surprising stuff, I think also... I mean, that's the good stuff. You just don't know exactly what you're going to get. You set them up with, you know, a great structure like you all do. And, you know, and then you get surprised. And to see their reactions is just incredible. So memorable. But a lot of this, you know, other stuff, just running a company and that sort of thing comes with its own sort of highs, highs and lows as well. In addition to that, I wouldn't complain about a second of it. And I love it all. But it's definitely exciting. Yeah. A lot of the folks that I talk to for this podcast and also the people who listen, you know, are developer relations, you know, many of them throw hackathons. I think a lot of them throw hackathons through dev posts. What actually makes a good hackathon in your opinion? Like, what is the difference maker? Yeah. And it's the same question as what makes a bad one. We tell people that it's the inverse of that, but to really find out how to be a great one, how to have a great hackathon, you just look at those all of those strengths, and, and if you don't have them, then they can make them more difficult. We tell people that there are four things about the structure. So one is marketing. Now, if you're having an in-person event, you still need it. People need to hear about this. They need to be interested in going, and the more, the merrier. They are busy, as you know. Developers are busy. They're in demand, often employed, and marketing-averse. They block ads in their browsers more than any other, over 60% are blocking ads more than any other title. And yet, you know, writing our futures and so important and you want to reach them. So how do you reach a marketing averse? You know, one is marketing. So you got to let them know emails through multiple times, partners and creating space where they want to come back and find out what's going on. The second is that it has to be interesting. In our experience, you know, it's a bit of art and science, right? I think the science part is the product needs to be valued. So 
the difference between, say, an in-person college hackathon and, say, a virtual competition geared toward professionals, one of the main differences is that there's one specific tool in a virtual competition, whereas an in-person, there can be a bunch of tools, and they're both awesome. But if you're promoting a singular tool, a single tool through a virtual competition, then an interesting competition means that product should be valuable to people. You can imagine that there have been times where we've worked on competitions where the product is not valuable to developers, so they're not going to respond to it. And then the second part is there need to be enough of them, a big enough market. So is this tool valuable and are enough of them out there? Now, as for making it exciting in the sort of art versus science way and the art way, like, oh, should the theme be broad? Should it be specific? What are you asking people to do? But that's number two. Got to be interesting. Valuable product, big enough market, and be smart about how it's structured. The third for us is fair prizes. And by fair, you know, most people are not doing it for, you know, the only chance of winning money as we discussed. Like that's not generally what it is, but they also want to be taken advantage of. So you're going to spend all this time learning something new. Like there should be a fair reward for if you do win. And then the last is tech support, which is you can imagine if there is no documentation or if the product isn't working and there's no one there to help, then people are, it's not going to be successful. So I think those four things of marketing, having it be an interesting competition, fair prizes, and tech support are really important. And then the inverse is true. If they aren't there, it can harm them. As kind of like a follow-on to that, how have you seen companies continue to engage developers after the hackathon, right? Whether it's working on the project for a longer period of time, or even just being part of their community, like what are some effective strategies there? I think that being part of the community is huge. You know, it's like we're obviously running one hackathon does not a community make. So, you know, like any other product, ensuring that you have their emails, that you're in touch with them, that you're providing them value. And yeah, running additional hackathons. Some of our most successful ones are series so that people know about them. It's not just a one-off. Oh, by the way, did you hear we're having this? But it's actually scheduled and it can grow each time when done well and not space too close together. And then in terms of the projects themselves, Yeah, I mean, a few things. One is an understanding that, look, if a venture capitalist invests, you know, what is it, 80% of them are either going to fail or break even, and they're spending millions of dollars in scouting, the expectation that by putting out some amount of $1,000 in prizes, that you're going to instantly change the world, otherwise the hackathon is a failure, is not a good way to look at it. It's, you're going to get good projects, you're going to get ones that aren't as good, but even the ones that aren't just good could be some of the most amazing developers who just weren't, didn't have time, weren't proud in, of what they built in that short period of time, don't want to submit it, but they know your tools, they're bringing it into their work, and you've converted that person as well. So looking at the totality of everybody that messed around with your tools, not just the winners, is a crucial, really important way of looking at hackathons. And we're always telling customers that. What about you? I mean, I completely agree that you have to look at these things holistically. I honestly love your analogy of the VC. I've never heard that one compared to hackathons before, but you're right. You know, like it's not, the odds are against you for those projects becoming startups. That doesn't mean that the people won't found startups and use those products in the future. But the fact that those specific projects are a good business idea is incredibly unlikely. I do think that like, I have occasionally seen breakout successes, but more often than not, the value is that familiarity and that someone has this thing in their tool belt now so that when the need arises, they already know how to use your platform. And it speaks to the 
and the values are somewhat different on it speaks to the value of college hackathons and also speaks to a different kind of value for virtual professional ones on the college side the community aspect is stronger look these people are living together they know each other they're in person it's very exciting and it's not that virtual hackathons can't be exciting but it's not community first always whereas with the on-campus ones that's what's happening and then another benefit of having them earlier is that teaching these young engineers about new tools that they can then go on and then on the professional side the community is not going to be first always that doesn't mean that you can't have community with virtual hackathons you can't have discord channels that you can't make them repeat but life's a little different when you're working you've got jobs to go to or maybe families and that kind of thing so there are differences in both of them are great and i think community changes slightly with one versus the other yeah i completely agree though i have been really surprised at how active a lot of Discord professional developer communities are these days. Like I was a skeptic about that stuff, but I've popped into them every once in a while. I'm like, there's tons of people in there, you know, talking about this stuff. So obviously the the hot topic of the moment is AI. I'm curious if like you've seen that impacting your competitions in any particular way. And I, I can imagine how it would impact it, but I'm curious what you're actually seeing out there. So we've been powering AI competitions for almost a decade. And so that's, TensorFlow and PyTorch and, you know, Azure AI and AWS SageMaker and other just data science focused competitions, sometimes programming and, but nothing. I have not seen anything in my 13 years like I'm seeing with AI right now. Yeah, there's a lot of hype about it, but I'm all in on it. Yeah. The invention of the personal computer, the invention of the printing press, the invention of the internet and the exposure of large language models through a chat interface and many other things to me it's just transformative in every way so on the one way it's ai as a topic which is you know built with ai delight your customers it's also just save money earn money and don't miss the future like this is what happens in these once in a generation moment is that you can miss the future we've all seen that with all these new technologies mobile being another one and so that's just what I'm seeing now is, is huge. So, and I may, we also have a product called Depots for Teams to do private hackathons with your customers, like bigger customers, but they don't want everything to work and be public or internally with your employees. And so also seeing this at the business level, which is pretty much every customer of Depots for Teams, which is companies doing internal hackathons, so it's focusing on AI and it's how do we save money? How do we earn money? How do we not miss the future? How do we delight our customers? given this incredible transformation. And you can have an AI strategy. We just had a meeting earlier with a large company. They have, they're developing their AI strategy, but the strategy must include building, tinkering, getting in a room, getting non-developers, creating prompts, and getting developers doing more. It's like you can look at the API and be up and running in 20 minutes for most of these LLMs, but it's the prompt and it's how that you solve business processes. So. The topic of AI, both outside of the organization and inside of the organization, to me, is transformed in a way I haven't seen before. I'm curious about you. I completely agree. The other thing I've seen a lot of, and I'm curious if you're seeing this too, is developers using AI to expedite their actual coding. You know, right. like generating the scaffold apps or generating ideas or generating copy or like literally just using it as a utility, like co-pilot, all these different things. 
Absolutely. And yeah, that's the second thing that, you know, the first being AI is a topic and the second being AI is a tool for hackathons. And we just did a hackathon here, this company uh, with, with all of our engineers and product people on ways that we're going to be integrating AI into our product. We already have some around prompts, but we have more coming on both the private and public product. But yes, making projects faster, describing your project faster, image generation when submitting your project dev post, and then of course, creating hackathons generating problem statements if you want to have those for your hackathon of course idea generation so our community does that the time that it takes to come up with an idea for a large percentage of our community is actually longer than it takes them to build it and so i was actually shocked to see that and that's not all of them but for a good chunk a large chunk of the community tells us that so just helping you come up with ideas. And so that's a part of our focus on the product side here, which is, okay, great. Well, we got to solve that problem. We need to reduce the time it takes to come up with an idea, to look at your skills, look at your interests, look at the competition and leverage LLMs through our product to help people do that. I've been thinking about some similar stuff, like even just like messing around with ChatGPT, it is incredibly good if you just tell it like, Hey, like I'm at, you know, this hackathon and I want to build a project that uses these APIs and I know this language. It can like spit out 10 ideas in a second. It's great. Exactly. And you can have a look at the judging criteria too. You know, there are tools that do this now. They're a little crude, but what I think is inevitably coming is build an interface just verbally. You know, there are sites out there that have interfaces, just UI right there. And I know that they're doing a lot more, trying to do a lot more with UI. I think you could just say, well, take the sign up flow from this and then build your application and do it verbally or just by picking and choosing, just taking low code or no code to an entirely new area and arena. So what has helped me come up with an idea now is, okay, and build it for me. I don't think there's one single person that would be surprised that happens in the next couple of years. I think it's probably inevitable. So zooming out a little bit, I know you've been working on DevPost for quite a long time now, right? Like you yeah. have defied all of the statistics around like, there's all that step function of like when companies, you know, fail, right? Over time and you guys are around and thriving. I'm curious, like how you've approached the business with that longevity in mind, because it's, I think it's unusual to have something that is, you know, independent and successful for so long. Thanks. Well, and you too. That's a good question. I'm not sure what the best way is to answer that. I think first thing that comes to mind is the people. So our average stay here is like six, seven years of employees that are here now. And so I would just say, hi, I'm really the people. When we're interviewing new candidates, we kind of go around the Zoom room and everybody says, hey, here's kind of like kindergarten. Here's my name. Here's what I do. Here's my favorite thing about dev post and here's a fun fact or something just for people to get a sense of the others and it's just funny to watch people joke and stuff and the two things that come up always are that their two favorite things are the impact which is actually seeing what we do seeing those projects helping people hey i go to a hackathon like and they're like you work at dev post you must have two thousand employees i'm always laughing like i'm just coming from the post office like carrying like 500 heavy packages on my back that i'm schlepping or whatever but okay and yeah i mean we have 27, but it's cool to see that impact. And that's one. And then the second is just the people hiring really good people who are, uh, you know, kind humans and uh, hardworking and productive. So I think like, number one, like wouldn't be around if we didn't have the impact and we didn't have the people. So it's, we wait in pain and agony sometimes before hiring somebody, which hurts and it's hard, but it's worth it. 
So that's just one, the people, but the, well, and the other is the impact, which is what we're doing in the mission, trying to deliver that. So I think the credit mostly, mostly goes there. It doesn't mean that there are hard days in the business world, but you know, like John, you're a company and I, we have a lot of customers of different sizes, but a lot, both of us have a lot of big customers, right? Yeah. I think we all know that this idea, and this is not a laughing matter, but this idea that bigger companies are necessarily more stable, it's not necessarily true. We know, and I'm sure that people listening, it's brutal. There have been large layoffs across the industry and there's reorganizations all the time. So I don't think necessarily always working in a small company means that it's crazier. So things are different, but not necessarily less stable at the ones that, at some of them. Yeah, I also think that DevPost and MLH perhaps have a unique view into DevRel as a field, since many of them are, you know, our respective customers. And I know that, you know, there's many different versions of that. But it's certainly been interesting for me to like see that discipline evolve and change and have its own, you know, volatility over the years as companies figure out how it fits into their businesses and, you know, how they measure it and all of these different nuanced things that, you know, they're trying to figure out for what is relatively new in the grand scheme of roles as an organization. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the macro story there is with the change in the economy recently and the interest rates and the pandemic, which my goodness, I mean, oh yeah, that thing, like what's happened recently, but all those things together combined with these, a lot of these big tech companies getting out over their skis and growing too fast and assuming that the growth they saw during the pandemic will continue or grow at the same rate and then a retraction where, you know, then questioning, well, okay, how do we get too far over our skis? Is this helping us drive revenue and reducing costs? And I'm sure that's not news to anybody here. I'm sure that other people know it in a deeper way. But yeah, and then to your point, at the same time, the sort of shift in what does death realm mean? Is it there to just delight developers and help them in anything they want to do, no matter what, and then hope that they, you know, that ultimately helps the company. Is that revenue driving enough for companies or not? You know, and so I think those questions are being asked. I'm curious what you think about that. Having worked at companies where the philosophies were very much about, look, help the developer no matter what, and that's going to come back to us and not being successful at the time. But how are people looking at that now? I mean... It's hard for me to say because when I was at Twilio, you know, it was more than a decade ago now. And so I'm not even sure if I were to sit on their DevRel team now that it would look very much like those early days. I think the values are probably similar, but like the strategy, you know, must be different, right? I think that a lot of developer relations folks are having like an existential like crisis a little bit right now. And some of it is about how to prove their worth, prove their value measure it in the context of a company that's now very revenue focused. My hot take on it is that I think a lot of the cuts to DevRel teams are short-sighted. I do think that like when you're talking about developers, it takes time, you know, like it's not a normal marketing audience. Like you said at the beginning, developers are very marketing averse. You need a deeper, more authentic kind of like relationship with them to actually get them to use your product in a big way. And I think that cutting DevRel can put that in jeopardy, even if it drives short-term revenue. You know, it can be really damaging in the long term. And you see examples of this, right? Like you see, like even Microsoft, like let's talk about them. For many, many years, they had a very negative reputation with developers. They've turned that around drastically, but like 
those reputations develop and they stick for a really long time and they're difficult to change. Right. Yeah. And uh, those are great points. And by the way, both love and admire Twilio. I mean, one of the yeah. great uh, companies and still are to this day. Yeah, I'm not saying it's better or worse. Of course it's not. Right. Yeah. Of course not. No, no. I think your point is valid. It's just reinforcing the point that they're, you know, we've all learned so much from them. But I would say that um, I still don't believe, and I'm long, dev relations, because even if you're just looking at it from a revenue standpoint, there are extreme, very, very few products where they're just self-serve. You go make them yourself. You just log on. That's it. No, I mean, you're interacting with engineers. You're interacting data scientists. It can take three or four months sometimes to onboard SaaS products, truly. I mean, we just switched to HubSpot whom we really like internally. And we're on a three-month migration plan with them just alone. So what's my point? My point is, is that we do, in order to get buy-in within a company, in order to get them loving and using your product, in order to get expansion within that organization, you've got to be working with them in a technical fashion. So you know, I see this as very much a revenue-driven thing. I think what we're seeing right now is that those who work on priorities for the company, AI, Etc. Right now, that they're investing in, or probably having an easier time than those that aren't, among other things. To veer off into a different direction, you know, we talked a little bit about how long DevPost has been around supporting these competitions. You and I have both seen so many different competitors pop up throughout the years, most of which are no longer around. I'm curious, like, what you think has differentiated DevPost to your community, like. Why has DevPost been so sticky and people keep coming back when right. you know, many other attempts at a similar kind of product have not succeeded? Not to avoid the question, but like honestly, spreadsheets and wikis and running hackathons oneself on one's blog are the bigger competitors. I still will answer the question, but that's what we're generally seeing, whether it's internally within a company or whether it's public. It's like, well, let's do this ourselves. Totally legit, totally valid. But there's three aspects of our offering, the community. So if you run it yourself, you're essentially going to be reaching the people who already know about you. I mean, that can change. You can take ads, but honestly, we don't find that ads work. You get a ton of registrants and very few submitters, and they generally don't work in, in our experience. It's okay to have a little bit around the edges. One is the community. The second is the platform, which is, you know, the... And then we have two platforms, the private and the public one. We've been working on them for a long time. So it makes it easier, one platform for your needs and saves people time, double the participation versus using it on your own team building so that people can find each other based on their skills and interests and other things like that. Communications, the legalities, making sure that everybody knows what's going on, all that stuff. So the first is the community, the second is the platform. And the third is our services team who have a ton of experience helping manage these most people in product marketing or developer relations who hire us uh, don't have the time to be full-time competition managers so we can help. So I think those are the main things. And I think each of them are unique. You know, the more hackathons you do, the bigger community, the more customers you get. So there's a circle there. And then the experience, like we take this stuff really seriously. Like I would say, oh, here's a big difference between in-person and online competitions that we face, not to disparage in-person competitions, but the rules are, are a little more flexible when you're in college, but well, we do these virtual global competitions with different rules and different territories. Like you can't like change deadlines, at least not in certain ways. There's all kinds of things that you just can't do. And we take it seriously. So we make sure that everybody's happy and we follow the law. Yeah. 
multinational competitions have a lot of legal and regulatory hurdles. Like it's less yeah. of a thing if it's in the US, you know. Yeah, we end paying prizes out overseas yep. and withholding taxes based on different government treaties. Like we do that every week. And you know, some of this a lot of that's built into our platform. A little bit of it's manual, but most of it's handled internally. So yeah, all that kind of stuff. I think that's why we stick with other competitors and also just why it makes sense to use us versus spreadsheets and wikis. And I would just say like one of the reasons that we tell people obviously about MLH and is yeah, all of it, the the organizing and the expertise, because just you can easily run a bad hackathon and it's not easy to run good ones. Why do you think the developers themselves have stuck around for so long? Like you have a sizable community, yeah. I mean, well, our community, they go through, you know, waves of activity. Like, you know, when they're starting their college, they're going to be doing a lot more and then graduate to, you know, one or two competitions per year, et cetera, because they're working, because they have other obligations, because they ultimately have family. But I mean, honestly, like it comes down to how good the hackathons are these days. It's learning. It's improving your craft. It's upskilling. It's getting a better job. It's, yeah, staying relevant. And that happens when we have good competitions. Do you see these competitions, especially for professionals, as at least in part a learning and development opportunity? Because I feel like companies invest so much money in these like MOOCs and online quizzes and like videos you have to watch. But like for engineers, you're right. They have to practice their craft. Do hackathons solve that need? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if they solve the need in total, as in well, nothing. I'm not saying nothing. 100%. Like, 100%. It's learning through building. That's probably the number one thing that they do is actually having a set time to learn from building. We all talk about wanting to take that course or whatever, but now you've got a deadline, you've got a date, and it happens. And that's also why our companies appreciate it to the, uh, for the private hackathons internally or with their customers. It's just like a set date. This is when we're doing it. We're going to allow creativity to not just be a small part of the organization, but an entire part of the organization. Same with public hackathons. I think so. Would you not put it at number one on the college side of things? Oh, no, I absolutely think it's number one. But I think that like for professionals, you know, we were talking so much about how they're strapped for time and their priorities yeah. and all these different things. Like it is that dedicated time and space to hone your craft when you might not otherwise have that, you know, especially if your company is running internally. Like we did a dev post for Teams Hackathon at MLH and it was not just technical people, like everyone in the company participated and people came up with awesome ideas. You know, some of the ideas were apps or pieces of software. Some of them were like, oh, like we're going to write all this new documentation for how to like run this process better internally. Like, I think it was surprising and people came up with really creative stuff. That's what we're seeing in AI in general is they see non-technical people. It's just a major change, like non-technical people participating as much as technical people. And it's not just teaming them up, although that's huge technical, but also just even on our own. Awesome. So we're coming towards the end here. I'm curious, like, you know, reflecting back on these two different companies that you've run, one was a record label and one is online challenges for software developers, super different. Are there any similarities between them? Like what's the same? Yeah, for me, it was very direct or a lot more direct than it sounds. I think I get this question a lot, but yeah, I, I like supporting creative people. So that's the thing that I love most. I mean, when I was doing record label stuff, when an artist would call me late at night, three or four in the morning, and I wrote this new thing and they just play it for me for the first time. And it was like, 
oh my gosh. And then later it comes out and out and you hear it on the radio, you know, a few years or a year later. And that's incredible stuff. I love, love, love working with people that are building stuff, supporting people who make things and use the internet, leverage the internet to make money when we're doing the record labels. So while they do seem different for me, just always love technology too and like supporting people that are making things. So, but you know, made a million mistakes on both of them. Also had some successes that we're really proud of. Do any developers call you in the middle of the night to tell you their idea? It's really employees now that do that. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully you don't have millions of developers calling your team either, but you never know. Now it's just like AI spam bots. Perfect way to end it, actually. We did online competition. One of my favorites with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, they actually regulate, you know, robocalls. It was about stopping illegal robocalls. And this was early on. And the winner was a guy named Aaron Foss. He lives in New York. And he started this thing, created this thing called No More Robo. And it's like the number one thing. People have installed on their phone to stop illegal robocalls. And they haven't stopped completely. But that was really cool. It's one of the success stories that came out of these hackathons that is now its full-time job leads its space. Yeah. I've known Aaron for a really long time. And this predates MLH. But like, I used to work with him a ton because they leveraged Twilio really heavily, at least in the early days. I have no idea what they do now, but like he was like a power user of Twilio building No More Robo. Amazing. All three of us, Aaron, you and me, yeah, he had the biggest role in it, but you and I had some yeah. small roles and that's success. Uh, but yeah, that's who caused me the most in the middle of the night. That's really funny. Awesome, man. So the question I like to end on for people, and it's kind of like a weird esoteric question, but... I like to ask people if there's any figure in the tech industry or in the world at large that you wish you could just like grab for a couple hours and pick their brain. Someone you've never met before. That is a good one. Someone I've never met before. Steve Wozniak I've met and he joined our board. And I'll let me just briefly tell that story. I was running a record label and we had this street rep program where you could volunteer to be a rep. We would send you free stuff. You would give it out and you'd be like an ambassador for us. This was super, super early. And all of a sudden, this inbound comes in and says, Steve Wozniak, and he's signing up to be a rep for one of my music artists. Like I said, I love tech. So I'm like, and I just wrote back, is this Steve Wozniak? Because I saw the city and I was like, this is possible. And he said, yes, what's a rep? And so I said, well, send you stuff. And so anyway, he started promoting this artist that, that he loved, her name is Amy Q, and he promote, promoted her and Subful. So that's how we originally met. And then, you know, when I started DevPost, the time was called Challenge Post, I basically just hunted him down. He was like going to be at this New Jersey thing doing this talk. You know, Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple Computer, was the jobs. And we talked for a while. And then I said, would you like to get involved? And he said, yes. I said, would you like to be my board? And he said, yes. So he was the second person to join our board. It was only like a year, and it was amazing. And so, yeah, my guy, my person, it has to be Steve Jobs. I've just been obsessed with that guy and so fortunate to have met Steve Wozniak and for him to give us some of his time. And he's an incredible guy and really smart. And a lot of his feedback was around just culture, just making sure that you come back to your core values because you're going to run into things that are going, you're not going to know the answer to, and you should be able to come back to a mission, your core value to answer them. So he was really instrumental in pushing that. That was Steve Wozniak. I never met Steve Jobs and I'm a fanboy. I always, always have totally obsessed with 
his ability, his design sensibility, the fact that he could bring Apple back. I watch old YouTube clips of when he was brought back to Apple and they were they had two or three months of cash left. And he gets out there at like Macworld or whatever. And he's saying, this is what our strategy is going to be. And it's going to be these four quadrants. And there's going to be a personal professional. It's going to be laptop and desktop. And they went from like 3,000 SKUs to four. And the fact that he could turn this company around and you could just see it in action, I mean, to me is so inspirational. So yeah, it's Steve well, Jobs. That's a great note to end on. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared. I really enjoyed the conversation. I know a lot of the folks who are listening, both DevRel and students are very familiar with DevPost. So hopefully they enjoyed hearing from you. And we'll include some links to your you know, online presence and all of that. But if anyone enjoyed listening, definitely subscribe for more. Yeah, and anyone can be in touch with me anytime, Brandon at DevPost. And thank you so much. It's actually an honor and really appreciate you having me as a guest. Thank you. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking. To find out more about Major League Hacking, and how we're educating the next generation of developers and helping the world's leading companies reach them, visit sponsor.mlh.io. And make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen, and click like and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like it, please don't forget to leave a review and we'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. On behalf of the team here at Major League Hacking, Thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking.